Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Well, last week, Key did an amazing job starting this uh, series off. I think, I think so much so, I'm going to retire and become a, go- <laughs> become a ghostwriter and just... Um, yeah, so thanks, Keel, for stepping in and doing that. Um, this series is all about bringing new life to the area we live in, the coastlands. Uh, this whole, the best pitch I could find, because they don't tend to zoom in by satellite on which, I'm afraid. It's not that much of an interest. But, um, <laughs> but we've, we've managed to get the whole sort of the uh, East Kent coast and, and that area here on this shot. And uh, we feel that God has called us to make a massive difference in this area, in these coastlands, and, uh, and to bring his life and his love. And... Uh, Kitty began last week by looking at the gathered church, how it's this unique community of grace and love gathered around the person of Jesus Christ. You can go to all sorts of different meetings and different gatherings and events, but the church is utterly unique in the fact that it's gathered around a person and the person of Jesus, and that makes it utterly different to any other community you can be involved in. Uh, It's God's best idea. It demonstrates his his manifold wisdom. It's his best idea. And he demonstrates that through the church to all, uh, all realms, the spiritual realm, the physical realm. The whole of creation looks upon the church and sees God's best idea. So you are God's best idea this morning. You need to celebrate that. Good. Good. We're this eclectic bunch, aren't we? This eclectic bunch of oddballs that God puts together. We are, aren't we? We're all a bit odd, aren't we? We're all a bit odd, if the truth be told. And, uh, and God formed us together into this family that is unique because it's centered around grace and it's centered around love. And we get to rub shoulders and be with people we may never connect with outside of the church community. We get to do life with people we may, we may never, ever connect with because God puts us together through grace and love. And we learn to accept each other and recognize the differences and celebrate the uniquenesses And that is what the gathered church is. It's this witness that the gospel is real and Jesus is real. Because without that, the church simply couldn't exist. It wouldn't hold together. It wouldn't wouldn't have something at the center. And so the church is called to gather. And when we gather, we demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God. And we get to celebrate together. We get to worship together. We get to encourage each other in the big. But the church is also called to scatter and to be small and to be sown throughout Society. That's what I want to focus in on today. We're called to be attractional as a gathered church. We're called to draw people by the presence of God that's here when we gather together and we worship and we celebrate. And we're also called to be missional. We're called to go to our neighborhoods, our streets, our towns, our places of work, education. And we're called to take the life of God into those different parts that God has placed us in. And so I want to just talk today and think about what it means to be attractional as a church, first of all. The pastor, Anne Stanley, he said this about the early church. He said, most of the big fights that were recorded in the book of Acts, that's the, the account of the early church just coming straight after the Gospels. Most of the big fights that were recorded in the book of Acts relate to the tension the church faced as she wrestled with the nature of the community she was becoming. Up until that point, the church hadn't had to let outsiders in. It had been essentially a closed community mainly around Jewish people who come to Christ and discover new faith and new life. 
And suddenly, other people want to get in on the act. And the church outsiders in. And they gathered together uh, in the book of Acts. We can read in Acts 15. They came together and said, how can we do that? What do we need to do? And they said this. In Acts 15, 19, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Gentile is a term for anybody who wasn't raised a Jew. So that's probably most of us in this room, I would imagine. We should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. The church has often made it quite difficult for people who are turning to God. Often the church can be seen as a clothes shop, it can be seen, seen as a clique, it can be seen as a, a place that isn't accepting, isn't welcoming. But right back at the inception of the early church, we find the early church leaders wrestling with the fact that the church should actually be a place that welcomes outsiders in. It must stay open, it must stay outwards, it must be a community that lets outsiders in. And to do that, these early leaders wrestled with removing obstacles that might get in the way of that process. We shouldn't make it difficult. We shouldn't make it difficult for people who are turning to God. And so when we try and create gathered environments like we have here today, we're trying to create environments that are accessible, uh, welcoming, attractional. We're trying to say to anybody, you can come and be part of this community and journey with us in faith. And we'll try and remove any obstacles to that. When the church first opened, someone came to visit Riverside and they said, we want to see where the altar is. And I said, well, I'm afraid we, we haven't got one. I can show you the big room where we meet. And we came in here and they looked around. They weren't impressed. <laughs> because there were no religious icons, there were no altars, there were no candles. and There was nothing they associated with church as it should be. And they said, well, well why? And we said, well, we want to make this space as accessible and as welcoming as we can. And sometimes those icons and sometimes that, those religious things can put people off because they've been raised in a way those icons represent certain things and they don't represent Jesus. So we haven't got an altar. Uh, we've got a very low stage and, and I tried to explain our whole philosophy of what we were trying to do here in this space. So we intentionally here are trying to make a space that is purely centred around the person of Jesus, that is attractional because he's here by his presence. This room in, in itself is not attractional. What's attractional is the fact that when we gather, Jesus comes into our midst by his spirit and people sense his presence. And we also try and do things well. We try and do things in a way that honour God. If you go to the theatre or you go out for a meal, you expect things to be done to a certain standard, don't you? You expect things to be done reasonably well. And we try and do things reasonably well here so when people come, they encounter something that's, that's a level of quality that they might expect out there in the world. Why should the church be any less than that? Why should we try and do things to any lower standard? So our coffee's good and our food's good and our rooms are warm and, and accessible and all these things we, do in, we put in place deliberately to remove obstacles. We don't make it difficult for people who are trying to turn to God. And you can think of it this way. If you invited someone over for a meal to your house, you'd probably run the hoover round. A few of you would. You, you, you might tidy up. You might put your dirty washing away, you know, put your pants in the linen. You might just generally tidy up. You know, you might make the space, you know, reasonably tidy and welcoming. When they arrive at the door, you, you know, you, you let them in and the room will be warm. And you might have even gone out of your way and asked them what they didn't eat. Or were they uh, allergic to anything so you didn't end up poisoning them with the meal that you'd cooked for them. <laughs> and you would do all these things because you would want to honour your guests. You'd want to honour the people who are coming to your house. You might normally walk around in your boxes, but you probably wouldn't do that. 
on the day that you invited friends over because you would forego some of your liberties uh, to honour them and welcome them and make them feel comfortable in your house. Is this true? This is true. And this is also what we try and do when we expect guests in the house of God. We are, we are trying to say we're going to try and make this place a welcoming place, an honouring place for you if you come and visit us. We'll, do a, we'll make a special effort to make you feel welcome, to make you feel part of the family. You could push the analogy even further. You know, you might, um, you might be quite physical with your partner. You might have quite an intimate relationship with your partner behind closed doors. If you started doing overt public displays of affection over the dinner table, you're really going to put your guests off their food. (laughs) You'd have to rein that back, wouldn't you? You'd have to rein that in to try and make the people who are with you comfortable. And I'm saying this because sometimes church doesn't have that insight. Sometimes church doesn't believe that we'll have any guests that we have any new people. And so we, we do these things and we act these ways and we walk around in our spiritual boxes and we scrabble around the back of the fridge for leftovers and we do overt acts of intimacy that are inappropriate and, and we, we forget that there might be guests in the house. And so sometimes... Now, it's not to say we don't have environments where we do that. We have other times, other places where we, you know, we, we let our hair down and we... we um, <laughs> We put our scruffs on and we, and we, you know, we, we go a bit wild. Or we, go, we go a bit more relaxed. But our main service is we think about the guests that are here and we try and honour them and, uh, and make the space hospitable for them. We don't want to make it difficult for those who are turning to God. And that's really, really important. So um, <laughs> you might get really bored of Keely saying, my name's Keely and I'm married to Simon. And you'll go, I know who you are. I know who you're married to. Why is she saying that? For the guests in the house, isn't she? For the people who are new here today. Because it's, it's, it, you know, it's polite to announce who we are. We don't, we don't assume. When I write my sermon notes, the two things I write at the top every time I come to preach are preach Jesus and don't assume anything. Because the church is very good at assuming It's very good to assume that everyone in the room has been raised a certain way or has been exposed to a certain thing or is fully biblically literate or has been raised in a Christian household or even knows who Jesus is. But actually, we live in a culture now where all that furniture, that Christian and religious furniture, is gone. And many people have no idea who Jesus is, have no idea what church is like. I came from a background where I went to church uh, in my late teens, early 20s. I had no spiritual furniture whatsoever, and I found the whole thing very disconcerting and very uncomfortable because no one explained to me what on earth was going on. Uh, because it can be a strange environment. But we, here at Riverside, we, we're trying to create an environment where we think there's going to be guests in the house every week, and we want to welcome them and honour them. So we introduce ourselves. We, we warmly welcome. We, uh, we chat to people. We don't get into religious cliques. We, we try and... The phrase before, no one stands alone. So if you see someone standing on their own, go and figure out why. Go and chat to them. Say hi. I'm always saying, have I met you before? And people say, yes, you've met me 20 times already. And I'm like, I'm really sorry, but hey. But I'd much rather have that conversation than not talk to someone and be nervous about it. Because I don't want anyone to be standing alone in church and not feeling welcomed. And so our kids' teams, uh, our ministry teams, our worship teams, our welcome teams, everyone's working hard to make sure that the house is ready to receive guests every time we do a Sunday service like today. <coughs> 
And our Sunday talks, they might not be deep enough for you budding theologians. I'm really sorry about that. You know, if you want to dis- discuss the pre-tribulation rapture theory, you're going to have to do it on your own time because I'm not going to do it on a Sunday morning because I want to preach in ways that are accessible uh, and applicable. Uh, and that's what Jesus did. You know, he said, take this profound truth and apply it to your life. He didn't say, take this profound truth and dissect it and cut it up into small slices and really try and figure out what I meant. Because Jesus actually, what he meant most of the time is what he said. He, he, you didn't have to be a theologian to understand Jesus. You were an ordinary person, a working person, a working person who was exposed to his wonderful stories. And so he wasn't preaching to theologians. He was preaching to ordinary people. And so when we do talks, we try and make them accessible and applicable uh, and a way that can be transferred into our lives. I once heard someone say, the, uh, the memorable has to be portable. So if I can nail one thought into your head today and you can take it away, then I've succeeded. I could do an amazing talk and we could expound all sorts of biblical truths. If you can't remember it 15 minutes later, it's an utter waste of time. Amen? Because you need to be able to take that memorable thing and you need to be able to carry it into your life and apply that truth into your life and make a change. And so we will always do things in the gathered church that assume we're going to have guests in the house. Guests in the house is so important to us. And even when we, um, God shows up like he did today with the message from heaven via the... <laughs> Not really. Um, when God shows up and the supernatural breaks out and people begin to react and there's crying and there's weeping and there's shaking and there's moving, we'll always explain what's going on. We'll try and demystify the supernatural. We talked before about the air steward example. Now, the air steward explains to you when the wings are shaking what's going on. We're going through a bit of turbulence, it's okay. If someone starts shaking or, or reacting to the power of the Spirit in the room, we'll explain what God is doing because we want to demystify and make it accessible. People understand that God's here, God's moving, but it's okay. No one needs to be frightened. And so we intentionally work hard in our gathered environments to make sure that we don't make it difficult for people who are coming to God. And so if you're a guest today, I hope you've felt welcome. I hope you experienced the warmth of the community here. I hope you've enjoyed the coffee. I hope you've, you feel like it's a place where you can connect, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, because that's really, really important to us. So that's the attractional and the gathered part. But we're also called to be missional. We're also called to be a church that is scattered throughout society. If gathered is about, is about letting in, outsiders in, then being missional is about getting insiders out. And that's you guys. Getting insiders out, propelling and equipping you into all the different spheres of society that God has placed you. Jesus said this in, in Matthew 28, a very famous passage in Scripture. And this was Jesus commissioning the disciples. He said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. God is in the sending business. He's the God who sends. When he heard the cries of those enslaved in Egypt, he sent Moses. When his people drifted away from him, he sent the prophets. He sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. And he so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us. And then he said to his early followers after his risen, after his resurrection, he said, I send you. As the Father has sent me, 
I am sending you. And so Jesus sends. He's in the sending business. God's in the sending business. We're a sent people. He doesn't just send us to church. He sends us into society. And he commissions us with the same authority that he carried. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I now give that to you. I designate that to you. You're my sent ones. And he gives you an assignment. He gives me an assignment. He says, go and carry my life into every part of society, every part of community. And that's his mandate. We know this because John 10.10 says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus' mandate is to be a life bringer. And you are a life bringer. Your mandate is to be a sent one who brings life and brings life to the full wherever you are, wherever God has placed you. But the life doesn't come until someone is sent. We can't just stay in this room and hope the life will come in our communities, in our society. The life only comes as we're sent. Because God is the one who sends. And that's the story throughout the whole of the biblical narrative. The whole story is a story of people being sent by God into places and spaces to bring transformation and life. And in the same way, you and I are sent. The word apostle means sent one. The apostles were sent people. You are sent. I am sent. And we're sent in the same way that Jesus was sent. We're sent in the authority of God and the humility of God to embody the grace and the truth that is in Jesus Christ. And so the church is gathered, but the church is also scattered. It's the sent people of God. And we experience God's life in the building here, which is fantastic, but also God wants us to experience life out on the streets, wherever he has placed you and me. Let's talk a bit what it, what it means to be about a, a scattered servant. The early church in the book of Acts was a gathered church. They were gathered in Jerusalem. They were, they were celebrating the life of God and the supernatural community that God had formed following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then it says in Acts 8 that a great persecution broke out against the church, led by Saul, who later became Paul. It says in Acts 8, 1, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, you might remember when Jesus had risen, he left the disciples with a mandate. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And some people read that scripture as first Jerusalem, second Samaria, and then Judea, and then the ends of the earth. But Jesus said, no, you're going to be, you're going to be a people that take my life everywhere. And the church hadn't done that. It stayed gathered in Jerusalem. So what happens? Persecution breaks out against the church, and the church is scattered. And where is it scattered into? Judea and Samaria. And as those people are scattered, they begin to bring life where God has placed them. And we can learn a lesson from that, can't we? We, we, can, we can be moved by God in one of two ways. We can listen and respond, or we can sit tight and wait for a big lever that God may use to scatter us regardless. The gathered church in Jerusalem wasn't moving. It was comfortable. It was enjoying the love of God and the blessing in the community. But then the persecution scattered people. And let's read what happens when they were scattered. This is uh, some verse from Acts 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. 
And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Those who had been scattered preached and demonstrated the kingdom of God. And they brought life to the towns and the cities where they ended up. Philip brought great joy to the city. See, what was limited by gathered environments is now possible through scattered servants. When God scatters us, we carry his life and his love into all the different places that God puts us. A mission no longer just happens in one place on one day at one time. Mission now happens wherever you are, at any time of day, every day, every opportunity, everywhere. You're carrying the life of God into those situations. If we fast forward a few centuries, there was a band of uh, scattered servants called the Celtic Missionaries. They built little coracle boats, little, little round boats, and they put up sails, and they believed that God would send them where they needed to go. And so they put out in these boats, and they were literally blown by the wind to different places. And wherever they went and landed, they began to bring the life of God. And they began to bring the kingdom of God. And you can imagine the people asking them on the shore, you know, where are you going? What are you doing? And they just saying, well, we just feel God's going to send us. So we're just making ourselves available. And it's a picture, a little narrative of what God wants to do in each of our lives. Are your spiritual sails up? Are you prepared to let God send you and blow you where he wants to place you? It may only be across the street. It may only be across a cafe. It may be a different part of the world. Are we letting God send us and carry his life? You know, when God sends, his spirit is there with us. He goes before us, he's present with us, and he's ready to receive us. We need more than just large gathered churches to change towns and communities. They only go so far. We need scattered servants to really bring about transformation. So you were never called to do evangelism. It's a myth. You won't find do evangelism in the Bible. Go away and have a look and come back. If you want to find me, you tell me. You won't find it. You won't find do evangelism. What you will find is you were called to bring life. You were called to bring life. You were called to tell people about the life that is in Jesus Christ. And that life is a full, expansive life that Jesus promises. When you receive the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, you enter into a life that is a new life, a, a better life, a, a fuller life that Jesus promises. I've promised you I'm going to give you life to the full, Jesus says to us. You enter into a new story. The word full in that scripture is a Greek word that means superabundant. What a fantastic word. You're going to have a superabundant life in Jesus, a life that is so superior, so beyond the life that you currently experience. That's the life that Jesus promises. That's the life that you carry as a scattered servant. And so you bring that life into your relationships. You bring that life into your workspace. You bring that life into your family. You carry a superabundant life into those places. That's the promise of God to you. Remember we talked on Vision Sunday about the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that Jesus met, and the woman came just for a drink of water. And she left with living water. She left with a, a superabundant 
life that was now completely transformed from her encounter with Jesus. You can read that story in John 4. See, Jesus was waiting. He was a scattered servant that day. The disciples had gone off to find food. They were hungry. They wanted to get their needs met, and they were off finding food. Jesus initiated contact at that well with that woman. He was like a scattered servant that day. He wanted to connect with somebody and bring the life of God. So he waited and he watched. And the woman came and he he led her into life. You see, people who are looking for God aren't always looking like they're looking for God. (laughs) You know, you can somebody comes to church, you can guess they kind of weren't dragged here, you know, and they they weren't hogtied and sort of wheeled in. You can guess they made their own way there. There's some degree of, of wanting to be here. But people out there who are spiritually hungry don't always look like they're looking for God. And it's our job to connect with God and say, God, what are you doing here? Father, what are you doing here today? Who, who is looking for you? Who is hungry? Who wants to know life? And we can extend that life by initiating contact with those people. And that's what Jesus did. He seized the initiative. He talked to that woman and he led her into life. And everything that happened afterwards, she went and led a whole village into life, was a result of that one conversation that Jesus had. Bill Hybels says this, he says, Every meaningful connection starts with a walk across a room. A walk across a room. And he says, if you choose to make that walk, two things will happen. Your palms will sweat and your throat will go dry. He says, when that happens, just lick your palms and get on with it. Every meaningful conversation starts with a walk across a room, a choice to initiate contact, a choice to bring the life that Jesus brings. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all tried to cross the room, maybe once a week? What would that look like for you to cross the room, to initiate contact, to bring the life that Jesus brings? Because you don't get the stories, like the story of Samaritan woman, without someone making that contact. You don't get a village transformed through her testimony without someone making that contact. You could haul every, every powerful preacher, every great man of God through history up here, and they would tell you about the start of their journey. They would tell you about someone who introduced them to the life of Jesus Christ. Many of you are already doing that. I'm so blessed to have so many stories tell me about how you guys are reaching out and crossing the room in different ways and sharing life with people. That is, that is just so exciting. I had a WhatsApp from someone the other week and it said this, I found myself talking about church, spreading the word of God and talking about Alpha. It just flowed out. I won't embarrass that person by saying who it was, but I get those sort of stories all the time. You're sharing life, you're crossing the room, that's so important. You're scattered servants. It's so exciting. But some of us struggle to involve unbelievers in our own lives because we're afraid of letting them seal the real us. We're, 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 we see all our flaws, we see all our shortcomings, we see all our weaknesses, and we think, well, if I, if I let them in, if I share life with them, I'm just going to share a mess with them, and that's not going to inspire them, that's not going to bring them life. And so we concentrate on sorting our own lives out rather than sharing our life. We think we should fix our life rather than share our life. That's the most pressing thing. But I want to tell you today, and let you off the hook, your life will never be sorted your life will never be sorted. Your life will never be packaged nicely enough to be able to present someone and say, this is what you need. You need a life like my life. Actually, what you need to present is Jesus, isn't it? 
you're not trying to sell them your life. You're not trying to sell them that. You're trying to present Jesus to them. And we get mixed up. We think, actually, we've got to somehow sell our life to somebody, sell our choices. People are drawn to vulnerability. It says in Scripture, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that we have this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. We're all cracked pots. I've said it before. I'll say it again. We're all cracked pots. We're all chipped. We're all dented. We're all flawed. That's our humanity. But inside our humanity is the person of Jesus Christ, the treasure that we carry. And that's what we are called to share with people. We're not called to share the pot. <laughs> we're called to share the treasure. And we get, we get mixed up and we think, well, I'll just get the pot fixed up, first of all, so it's presentable, and I can share that with someone. People are drawn to vulnerability. They're drawn to brokenness. You can't actually share something until you break it, can you? You can't give it away until it's broken. And actually, when we share our broken lives with people, gathered around the person of Jesus Christ, that's where the real, real life is. People don't want to know a perfect you. They're not interested in a perfect you. What they're interested in is something that's significantly more that will make their life have meaning and real truth. So you don't have, your, have to have your life together to give it away. You can share exactly where you are. And so we need to focus on sharing rather than sorting, yeah? Focus on sharing where we are now. Invite people in, share life, and you'll be amazed at what God will do in your brokenness. Vulnerability is a very vogue word at the moment. You know, being vulnerable, being real, being open, it's very vogue, and, and that's fine. But vulnerability only gets us so, where, so far. What vulnerability should really lead to is the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we uniquely have to offer as the people of God. Your non-Christian friends and family are looking for something more significant than life has to offer. They're wondering what you've got. They're wondering why you've got it. They're wondering why you believe it. The Apostle Peter says this. He says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And we've done a disservice on this. We, we've, we've probably told you this needs to be like an apologetic. You've got to give a good reason for why you believe in Jesus. You've got to give a good apologetic why Jesus was real and why he exists and why you go to church. But this verse doesn't mean that at all. It means, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you have to defend Jesus. You have to defend your faith. What it means is let people in. Share life with them. Share life with them. The answer you give doesn't have to be a watertight apologetic that is irrefutable as to why Jesus rose from the dead. The answer you give is because without him, I couldn't go on. You know, without him, my life wouldn't make any sense. Without his love comforting me every day, and on and on and on. It's your testimony, it's your witness. It's not an apologetic. Explaining how Jesus gives you hope in the midst of vulnerability and struggling and brokenness is one of the most powerful stories that you can tell. So I want to encourage us today to make the decision to courageously and vulnerably open our lives up to other people and show people that Jesus is real in your life. Even though your life's a mess, that doesn't in any way nullify the fact that Jesus is real. And as we do that, we can pray, God, what is the key to this person's heart? What will, what will open their heart to let Jesus in? As we share our lives with people, we can also invite them to places of encounter. That's what the Samaritan woman did. She said, come and meet this man who told me everything I ever did. 
Come and have an encounter with Jesus. You know, as you talk to people and share lives with them, you might want to invite them to, to Alpha. You might want to invite them along to a Sunday service. You might want to invite them along to a live event with music. You might want to invite them to a number of things. You might want to invite them to a place of encounter, a place where they might meet more people who share Jesus, more people who uh, are attractional, more sense of God's presence. It might be a baptism service. It might be any number of things. It might be just a coffee with a friend. We invite people to encounter the person of Jesus Christ. And we offer to pray for them. We offer to pray for their needs. We offer to pray for their story, their situation. So as we put these elements together, we end up with a picture a little bit like this. We're a church that's attractional and missional. We invite people to come in and we invite people to go out. We don't make it difficult for unbelievers. And we go and make disciples of all nations. And that's our goal there, right in the middle, to bring people into life in Jesus, all in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what our aim is, the gathered and scattered church, to be both these things, to live in the gathered and the scattered, the big and the small, the attractional and the missional. Inviting people to come in and equipping people to go out, all in the power of the Spirit. If God's going to really bring transformation in our towns and cities, he's going to need a people that are mobilized as his servants. Everywhere, everyone, every day, bringing the life that God promises that we carry. So we need to go out there, guys. We need to cross the room and begin to build relationships with people, begin to share the life. Even if our lives don't feel sorted, we share what we have, the treasure in the clay jars. As we cross the room, Jesus goes with us, and the kingdom comes, and the stories come. We can spend a long time sitting in this room praying for something to happen, praying for change, and prayer is really good. It's really great to pray. But we also need to be the sent ones of God, carried out into all the places and spaces that God has placed us. So we could sit here and just count the people, couldn't we? Count the people who come on us and think we're making a difference, we're growing, you know, more people are coming to church. But that's great. But what we also want to see is the life of God coming into every place that God has placed us, every sphere that God has put us. I want to commission you afresh today. I want to commission you. Because we commission pastors, we commission vicars and priests, but we don't commission ordinary people, do we? I was never commissioned as an engineer. You've probably not been commissioned in your job. Not a service of commissioning. Alan Scott's got a great phrase, the pastor Alan Scott, he says, we need to ordain the ordinary. So let's stand together today. So your role, wherever God has placed you, is utterly important as a scattered servant. Whatever you are doing, whatever you are, whatever sphere of society you're in, you might be in education, you might be in healthcare, you might be in business, you might be in IT, you might be in, I'm going to read it, I've got a list here, I wrote, I wrote it down yesterday, finance, care work, charity work, arts, design, manufacturing, environment, family, public services, law, on and on and on. All these different places that God has put you. You might be retired, but you might be connected with different people in your street, 
You might be connecting through volunteering. You might be at home looking after family, but connecting with other parents and carers. Wherever you are, you're a sent one of God. And I want to commission you today. I want to commission you to bring life wherever God has placed you. Because you are a life carrier. You carry a superabundant life. That's what Jesus promises. So if you want to, you can close your eyes, you can open your hands. I'm going to just pray a prayer of commissioning over you today. I want you to see this week differently. I want you to see your situation differently. I want you to see the people that you connect with differently. Because you are a commissioned one of God. So Lord, I want to honour all these people today. I want to honour the different ways that they serve you. I want to honour the different roles that they have and responsibilities that they carry. And Lord, I want to commission them today as your people to be the sent ones of God, carrying your life into every environment they represent. Every environment. I thank you, God, that you've placed us exactly where you want us, God. And you've put people around us, God, that you want us to bring your life to. And I pray that would be the most natural thing in the world. It wouldn't be a religious thing. It wouldn't be an odd thing. The most natural thing in the world to cross the room and to share life with people. And so, Jesus, I pray your blessing on every person here today. I pray this week would be different because there'd be a new, new spiritual sight resting on these guys. Just the Holy Spirit's beautifully resting on you. Just, just let his presence really sink in today. You might think, no way am I an evangelist. No way could I ever talk about Jesus with somebody outside of church. I want to break that lie off you in Jesus' name. I want to break that lie off you. I want to tell you you're called to bring life. And that's, that can be the most natural thing in the world. So Jesus, as we open our hands to you today, let our hands be open, God, with what we carry, that we can share it, Father. Even if it's in brokenness and vulnerability, help us to courageously share what you've given us. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.